Hi, I'm Edwin. And I'm Andrew. Sound the battle cry. Two men, 15 minutes, eternal impact. Welcome to Text Talk. For the Lord, gird your armor on, stand firm, everyone. Edwin, it's Wednesday. I am so glad that it's Wednesday. I am too. We get another day to look at Psalm 39. Psalm 39. Today, I want to read from the Lexham English Bible. Cool with that? Uh, Lexum sounds great. Here we go. Psalm 39, for the music director, for Jejuthun, a psalm of David. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will keep a muzzle over my mouth as long as the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I was silent even from saying good things, and my pain was stirred up. My heart grew hot inside me, and my sighing of fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Let me know, O Yahweh, my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Look, you have made my days mere handbreadths, and my lifespan is nothing next to you. Surely every person standing firm is complete vanity. Surely a man walks about as a mere shadow. Surely in vain they bustle about. He heaps up possessions, but does not know who will gather them in. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is for you. From all my transgressions, deliver me. Do not make me the taunt of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth for you yourself have done it. Remove from me your affliction. By the opposition of your hand I perish. When with rebukes you chastise a man for sin, you consume like a moth his delightful things. Surely everyone is a mere vapor. Hear my prayer, O Yahweh, and listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my tears, for I am an alien with you, a sojourner like all my ancestors. Look away from me that I may be cheerful before I depart, and I am no more. So I appreciate reading these different translations, and there was a little different handling of verse 4 that I appreciated. Okay, let me get back to that. Let me know, O Yahweh, my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Let me know how transient I am. I, I love the prayer. I love the idea of remind me just how short my days are here, my time. The recurring picture in this psalm, a metaphor for that, brevity of life, is a vapor. And that points us back to James uh, to think about how quickly life goes by, the picture of a vapor, and then what are you doing with that? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you place a value on the brevity of this life? So when you're connecting that to James, we're talking about like at the end of chapter 4? Yeah, yeah, kind of chapter, of chapter 4 five. into chapter 5. Okay. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Let's flip over there. I want to... Okay. Chapter 4. All right. James chapter 4, beginning about verse 13? Yeah, yeah. You want to read that? I've got that. It says, uh, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. Oh, there it is. That appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall do, live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I've struggled for a long time with that last verse in that segment. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. I mean, I don't struggle with understanding what it means, but rather how that's the conclusion of what was just said. What I, what I finally kind of rested on 
is that James is pointing out the same thing that Psalm 39 does, and that is life is a vapor, life is a mist. You don't know yeah. how long it's yeah. going to last, and so don't procrastinate the good things. Yeah. Is that, is that those, what you're getting from that? Don't put those, don't put off doing the right things. And even in the plans that we make, include the Lord in those plans. I, to me, the foolishness being pointed out in this place is all of these grand plans without giving the Lord his due. Mm. If the Lord wills, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so there's a, there's a boast and an arrogance about what we're doing with this gift of life and this brevity of life. If the Lord's not at, at the, at the beginning of those plans. So if I talk about all that I'm going to accomplish tomorrow mm-hmm. or next week or next year without a true understanding that only if God allows this, right, I'm boasting as if I'm the one that's in control of life. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, my uh, my in-laws here shortly in July are going to be celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And I'm so excited for them, so excited to be able to go and, and celebrate with them. And I was just commenting. I was talking to my wife about it the other day. I was like, you know, a lot of things, a lot of blessings have to come together for people to have that 50th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there is this wonderful testament to love and commitment and marriage. But then there's some things that's out of your hands, too, like length of days and health. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people won't see a 50th anniversary for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they don't love their spouse and they weren't giving their marriage their all. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that has to come together. And so we're driving in the car talking about this. I've got a little boy and he's overhearing it. And he goes, Dad, are, are you and mom going to be married for 50 years? <laughs> And that's, well, the, that's the perfect moment to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, yeah, because if he gives us the days, you know, I love her and she loves me and we want to make this marriage all to please God, then yeah, of course we'll see 50 years uh, if the Lord will. How do we make this more than just a verbal tick? Mm. You know, just the thing that, well, we're Christians and we know that we're supposed to tack on to anything we say, Lord willing. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get to, we're gonna be here back on uh, you know tomorrow with podcast yeah. and all that other kind of well, thing. How I do mean, we make it more than just that verbal tick? How, how do you learn to humble humble yourself before the sovereignty of God? I I don't know, but that's what we're doing here. We're trying. <laughs> James is trying to teach us to recognize it's not a tick. It's not empty words. <laughs> mean this and understand this, fool. <laughs> Ow! Ow! <laughs> Wow. Okay. But but maybe there's more, Edwin. <laughs> maybe if we keep reading in chapter five, we'll, we'll be able to put some legs to this. Okay, well, let's just keep reading then. Uh, if, if you don't mind, uh, the fool over here, we'll go ahead and read. <laughs> Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You're rich. You know, I, I know this. You can call me the fool from <laughs> verses 13 to verse 17, but what you can't call me is the rich from verses 1 to verse 5. Come now, you rich, <laughs> weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters has have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Do you, I, do you see a little connection there from 4 verse 13 
people who have the ability to make plans to go on long merchant journeys for a year and yeah. make profits to rich folks in chapter five. I certainly think that one of the connections here is, as he says, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And then in verse uh, chapter five and verse one, I think he is trying to tell some folks who are boasting in their arrogance and that boasting is evil that. So let me go ahead and tell you what's going to come tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me tell you what's coming. And I, I don't there's a lot of aspects of this that we can get bogged down in that I know we don't have time for just in our conversation time today. But I, I still noticed even some more connections here. The. Well, first of all, there's the garments that are moth-eaten. Yeah. And in Psalm 39... Which sounds like poverty. Well, th- that does sound like poverty, but it, I, I recognized in Psalm 39 and verse 11, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is mm-hmm. dear to him. Surely all mankind is merely a breath. Mm-hmm. And of course, Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount talks about the laying up of treasures in heaven where moth doesn't eat, where rust doesn't yeah. destroy. So we, we've got that connection. I think the other connection that I continue to see is, is, in fact, you brought this up the other day as we were talking about Ecclesiastes, where at the end of verse 6 in Psalm 39, surely for nothing they are in turmoil, man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Right. Yeah. And what we've got here in the, the beginning ch- of chapter 5, uh, what we've got here is the rich who are weeping and howling. They don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, and actually what it's going to bring is judgment. They've been heaping up wealth in these last days, it says. You've laid up treasure in the last days in verse 3. Uh, and again, that's reminiscent of Jesus' statement about where you're going to lay up treasures. Yeah. It's, it's obviously a contrast to Jesus' statement about laying up treasures in heaven, right. in the kingdom, versus yeah. in the last days. And last days here is not referring to some moments right before Jesus returns. It's referring to this age that we are in right now, that we've been in since the Holy Spirit came upon the Christians in Acts chapter 2, fulfilling the last day's prophecy of Joel. I agree with you there. And James is rebuking the rich. They're being poor towards God, and they're mistreating their brethren, apparently even people they owe some money to. flies in the face of uh, how the rich are taught to act in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Storing up a foundation for the time to come sounds an awful lot like storing up riches in heaven. Yeah, and it's the idea of being generous to others, helping those who are in need. Look, I think there's something to be said here for some of what gets bandied about and talked about today, where we've got CEOs of corporations that are living in the lap of luxury that have just millions and billions of dollars, but they've got workers that can barely make it from week to week or month to month. I think for folks in that situation, we've we've got a warning here, got a warning here. I'm not in that situation. It's really easy for me to look at this verse and talk about that. Maybe what I should be talking about, though, is the part where it talks about living in luxury and in Mm self-indulgence. Because what I want to talk about is this business of withholding money, because I've never withheld money from anybody that's ever done work for me. I've I've always paid. So I want to talk about that, because I've never done that. I jokingly early said, hey, you can call me the fool from the other paragraph, but you can't call me the rich. But the more I think about it, compared to my brethren that I'm reading about 
here in, in the New Testament. In the first century. Yeah. Uh, they might call me rich. They might. <laughs> they, and they would. Yeah. I, I w- they would. And I know I have spent a lot of time, even though I, I don't think I'm the person that's been oppressive of folks who are poor or folks who are laborers. I have been a person that's lived in luxury and self-indulgence, even while there are others, even brethren in other places that are worse off. Yeah. One of the things that really gets me out of this, this is something I've noticed recently, and and I'm in James here, and again, Psalm 39 reminding us of this, but uh, where it says that your gold, this is verse three, your gold and silver have corroded, their corrosion will be evidence against you. It really struck me as I was studying this recently, what, how, how is the corrosion of the silver and gold and evidence against the person? And what dawned on me as I was meditating on that was here is this wealth that instead of being used, instead of being used for something good has been stored up and has been stored up so long that it's corroded. Mm. So there's this, there's this idea that, well, I've got to store it up because I need to use it for me, but you haven't. It's and not so, like, so that lack of use is demonstrated in a corrosion in the of corrosion. it. it sat there so long. And, and while you're, while these other folks in need have languished mm. around you, you've got the wealth that could be used to help them. And instead it's corroded and that's going to cry out against you. Yeah. And the way it's rendered in the new King James, it seems that that corrosion affecting the wealth, that's actually a corrosion that's going to come and eat on you, yeah. a judgment upon you and, and burn up your flesh and fire. And yeah. let, let's just tie some conversations together. That word for corrosion is only used three times in the new Testament. One of them's over in Romans, but the other one is earlier in James when it talks about the tongue being a poison. Ah. Let's go back to useless religion yeah. and remember that what pure and undefiled religion bridling is about making bridling the tongue, taking care, visiting the orphans and widows in their affliction and yeah. making sure you're unstained from the world. Yeah. It's all of these things go together. Yeah. And it's all in Psalm 39. I know it seems like we've skipped away from Psalm 39, but I feel like James and Ecclesiastes both of those things are are coming Kinda, out yeah. of what David has written here. Yeah. So they're seeing those things. Well, what are, what are you learning from Psalm 39 or the book of James? Why don't you send us an email and let us know. Text talk at christiansmeethere.org. Text talk at christiansmeethere.org. Let's have a word of prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. It is a gift from your hand. Father, help us to learn to number our days and appreciate each one is a gift and to make the most of it, to use the blessings that you give us wisely. Uh, Father, that we bring glory to your name by being a benefit to those who are around us. God, we do want to walk in wisdom as we gain more in our conversations from Psalm 39. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for talking about the text with us today. I'm Edwin Crozier, and I'd like to invite you to join the Christians who meet on Livingston Avenue in Lutz, Florida, this Sunday for our Bible classes and worship. You can find out more at christiansmeethere.org. Check out our daily written devotional that goes along with today's episode. You can find a link for it in our show notes. Michael Eldridge sang all four parts of our theme song. You can get more from him at acapeldridge.com. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Text Talk in your favorite podcast app so others can find it and learn about it more easily. Have a fantastic day. Steady, steady, pass the word along. Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna, Christ is captain of the mighty throne.